The Invictus Mind, Episode 11. Hello, this is Mike Corbell. Each and every person is a sovereign individual, born with a spark of divinity, with unique and unlimited potential. But every one of us will face unique challenges, obstacles, or roadblocks. There are systems in this world that may be built against our own best interests. Governments use force to coerce and compel us. Sometimes we build systems in our very own head. In each episode, we will look at these systems, these roadblocks, the things that prevent us from reaching our true potential. We will discuss how to break free and regain our sovereignty, how we can become the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. Hello everyone, Mike here. I have another great episode lined up for you today. Of course, by now, if you've been listening to this show, you must know my political persuasion. So if you're a libertarian, you're going to love this episode. If you're not, well, you may not agree with the topic. But nevertheless, it is something you should pay attention to, because like it or not, it will affect your life one way or another. Before we get started, however, I want to ask everyone here a favor. I found this show, The Invictus Mind, rated as number 88 in the Liberty Podcast Ranker. I love to climb the list because, honestly, this is a really good show. Just go to the LibertyPodcastRanker.com and vote. I really appreciate it. In any case, here we go. I want to thank my guest today. He is the Managing Director of the Libertarian Institute and host of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. He is the author of the book Freedom Through Meendom, the 31-Day Guide to Waking Up to Liberty. He has been a public speaker at the Liberty Forum in Manchester, New Hampshire, and is currently co-producing a documentary called The Monopoly on Violence. He is Peter Quinones. How you doing today, Pete? Good. How's it going? It's going well. So uh, I'm, I'm a big music lover, and I was uh, chuckling the other day when I saw one of your posts about Rage Against the Machine. Are you going to get <laughs> tickets for that concert? I will not, no. You're not a fan of the band? I I have no problem with their music. I just um, – it's not the first band that I would put on to listen to um, if I'm listening to music. Um, I might get into them, but I mean, at $300 a ticket, I haven't been to a concert in forever. And if I do go to a concert, it's usually a club where you're paying 20 or 25 bucks. I'm really cheap. Right on. Right on. Hey, quick question. What was the name of that band who uh, you have opening your podcast? Uh, they're called Shorty and they're, they're a South Florida band that's uh, now gone. They're defunct. Oh, okay. I like their music. Why don't you check them out? Well, they actually have a they're they were brothers, John and Joe Page, and they're actually doing a um a podcast series based off of uh the role player game. Uh can't remember what uh can't remember what it was called, but they're they're doing um okay. So it's called 
the Wraith Redress, and it's based off of the Project Full Blade tabletop role playing game. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna start running ads for it on my podcast. Uh, I've heard some of the music that he's composed for it. It's amazing, and these guys are really good. And anything they put out, I think if people are gamers and they like this kind of stuff, they'll be uh, they'll like what they do. They they put out quality stuff. So right on, right on. Well, Pete, I uh, I started listening to you a little over a year ago, and in my podcast uh, world, I listen to more podcasts than I probably should uh, admit to. But I, I listen to people like Tom Woods and Dave Smith and, and Jason Stapleton, and I heard your name a year, little over a year ago because you were an up-and-comer in the libertarian world. I guess that's what they said, and uh, they, they mentioned that a whole bunch of people were actually joining the libertarian party, uh, a lot of the podcasters who were not affiliated with the party, and, and your name just got mentioned. So I, I, have you been affiliated with the libertarian party for a while, or is this just a, a recent uh, development? I joined the Libertarian Party like 11 years ago, and it was just sort of a something to do, uh, something to th- – there were a lot of meetups around here um, that were you know nice to just go out and talk to like-minded people. But uh, I dropped out of the Libertarian Party until 2017 – 2018, really. And the reason we – a bunch of us rejoined it, even though you know, I, I'm not a voter, I don't – really care about any of that stuff um was because you know even though i consider myself to be an anarchist uh, i i live by the libertarian ideology and if there's a party out there that's going to call themselves libertarian um i want them to preach a message of liberty and not what has been being preached and these recycled Republicans that they've been running for president over the past 12 years. Uh, I'm not deluded into thinking that a libertarian will get elected president, but I think it's a great platform for education um, to get a message out there and, you know, draw some people to liberty. So, you know, that's why I got back involved with the Libertarian Party and Michael Heiss from the uh, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. I like what he's doing. He's really trying to concentrate on local issues. And um, anybody who's been listening to me for a while now knows that I really think the only way that we're going to see liberty in our lifetime is if we get local and we decentralize and um, even that horrifying word secede. And I really only think that um, that's the only way at this point that people are going to be freer. I think that... um, you know, if you look at countries in Europe, the smallest countries in Europe, there, they have a much better freedom index than we do in the United States. So, um, I think that's a model to go after the Liechtenstein's or the Switzerland's or the Andorras or Luxembourg's. Um, it makes people who um, who would seek to be in charge a lot more accountable. I definitely agree with the education part of it. So, uh, as I said, I listen to a lot of podcasts and i like your show i I think it's uh not only is the music good but uh, you have a lot of good guests on your show and uh, a lot of good messages but i'm curious uh, how did you come up with the name free man beyond the wall i i had to come up with a name for a podcast and um, at the time game of thrones was still on the air and i was a big fan and you know big fan of the books as well 
And I just thought that the whole idea of being beyond the wall, that anybody inside the wall is, you know, trapped as a slave and even in their own mind. And to be a free man beyond the wall is to be, you know, somebody who is looked upon with suspicion, but, um, you know, somebody who doesn't want to be a part of the, you know, the status quo in the world and this whole, all these people who, you know, want to vote for rulers and want rulers to rule over them. Um, even if they think they don't, that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I have to be honest, I'm probably the only person in the world who's never seen Game of Thrones. But Well, uh... no, th- th- no, there's a lot of people who haven't, and they really are really proud when they get on social media and mention that they've never seen it. It's sort of like a badge for them. Well, sort of, sort of, sort of, sort of, kind of odd. For me, it was always The Walking Dead, and then there was Game of Thrones. But uh, I prefer The Walking Dead. <laughs> uh, so, since that time when you started your podcast, you've actually gone through a name revolution. Uh, I'm, you know, your pseudonym Mance Raider is one of the characters from that show, and and now Peter. That's uh, that is your actual name, correct? Yeah, the name Peter Quinones is uh, what's on my birth certificate, or um, what, what do I have? A um, announcement of a citizen, American citizen, born abroad, uh, thing that I have for a birth certificate that passes for a birth certificate. So interesting. I've been part of the libertarian movement for about eight years. I was introduced through Ron Paul, like I think about 75% of the people I know have been. Uh, you said about 11 years, so would you introduce through the Ron Paul movement as well? Yeah, 2007. Okay. I was uh, I was actually introduced to prior to 2012, so I, I, I missed the first wave. But uh, what's interesting about this movement, I think more than anything else, is that the different things that people like to talk about, uh, it makes me chuckle, some of the things that libertarians in particular find important and i was having a conversation with my friend about this the other day and we always chuckle about uh, who's going to build the roads right Mm -hmm. and then uh, we we talk about things like uh, you know the library the park district and and all those things i think are 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 fun to talk about but uh, i don't know if they're the highest thing i would put on my priority list i I like to tell people that if the government only built roads i probably wouldn't have a problem with them but uh, do you have a priority list as to what's the most important issues in this movement? What I think the most important issues are are anti-war. Um, after that, Federal Reserve, and you know, it's weird because as anti-war as I am, and I, I I recognize that I think anti-war is most important. Federal Reserve is is probably second, although. Without a Federal Reserve, it's very hard for them to wage war. So they really go hand in hand. But it seems like um, over the space of my podcast and everything that I've become the person who sounds the alarm on uh, local, state, and federal police. That I've become the, you know, I have people all day either emailing me or messaging me, you know, stories about police abuse. Um, I've usually already seen them, you know, when they send them to me because I stay up on that stuff. But, um, it looks like I've become the, one of the people for federal state and law, uh, federal state and local law enforcement who is a watchdog and someone who tries to sound the alarm that, um, these people are not the, this is not 
a good profession. This is not a profession that's there to help you. Um, that I really believe that they are a, a control arm of the politicians and their name is law enforcement. So politicians who they will admit are corrupt, uh, make laws and they go out and, and enforce them, even if they're bad laws and they will admit to you they're bad laws because if you ask, why are you doing this? They will say, well, if you don't like it, vote the politicians out of there by saying that they're admitting that they know that they're that these politicians are bad people and they're making bad laws, but they still they're not saying I'm not going to do it, uh, that I think these laws are wrong and they're staying in the job. So, um, yeah, my I think the most important things are anti-war and the Federal Reserve, but really, really close to home is, you know, I think you have a better chance of being well, I know uh, because statistics say you have a better chance of being killed by your local police officer, officer friendly than you do an Islamic terrorist. But yeah, it seems that a lot of people don't want to accept everything I just said because, you know, 15,000 hours of public school and brainwashing. Yeah, absolutely. I have a friend of mine who, uh, who tells me that he's a libertarian, but uh, I don't want to call him a bootlicker because he's one of my good friends, but he, he's definitely pro-police. And uh, him and I just get into heated arguments. And I, I said the other day to him, I said, it's not that I hate individuals. I mean, everyone says there's always a few good cops out there, but I, I'm really not in favor of the actual institution of, of policing. Well, it's, it's a monopolistic um, profession. I mean, they... They have no profit motive um, per se if, say, it was a private. And when I say that, I mean they do have a profit motive. They have a job. But say you had a private agency that was hired to do it other than a state agency where, you know, everybody starts off at the same wage and then you get move up the ranks. And, you know, the more people that you arrest is, you know, all, all of these horrible, horrible incentives. Um but if you know you can't, if a police officer comes into your neighborhood and kills somebody who's innocent, you can't get that person fired. You can't rarely, if ever, like ninety-seven percent of the time, they walk. So if you if it was a private agency and they did that, well, then you could fire them. Then you could sue them. They're not going to have. I would assume they'd they'd have some sort of insurance. But, um, you know, even police now, they have this qualified immunity that precludes you from suing them personally if they walk into your house because they're at the wrong address and they shoot your wife and they shoot your dog. And you have really no recourse. But if it was a free market, if it was a, a market opportunity, uh, then you could sue that person and um, recoup damages or and, you know, definitely either fire that agency and hire another one or you know, you'd have some recourse other than the monopoly that exists right now. Yeah, it seems that people can't fathom that idea of actually having a private police force or having something that's not a monopoly. Uh, they just assume that that's just what the state should be doing. Well, I mean, I don't... You know, and what most people don't realize is and the first episode I ever did in a podcast was about the police. And the first thing I ever talked about was the Warren versus District of Columbia decision where 
um, the courts decided that police have no mandate to protect you as an individual. And that was reiterated a bunch of times. But another one is Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, where people tried to sue the police for not protecting them. And the courts came back and said the, the police have no mandate to protect you. So yeah, we know that if somebody broke into my house right now, um, I'm in, I'm in my bedroom. If someone broke into the house right now, the cops, when are the cops going to get here? If I call them about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe, but I have this. So <laughs> if someone breaks into my house, I'm able to take care of it myself. And even police will tell you that if you go on any gun forum on, uh, on the, on the internet, um, the police, if there's a police officer on there and there always is, they'll tell you, Hey, we're not going to be there. You need to protect yourself. Then of course, if you start, if you start, um, telling them what, you know, what a crap profession they have and, you know, why should, why should you even exist if you don't, if you're not mandated to protect anybody, then they'll tell you, of course, Oh, well call a crackhead. If you get in trouble, it's like, you've just told me to arm myself up because you're not going to be there. And now your cognitive dissonance has kicked in so hard that you're going to tell, you're going to say, call the crackhead. No, I mean, I haven't, I have my gun right next to me. You know, don't be pissed off because you have a job, which is basically welfare. And they don't, they, they can't get that through their, you know, anytime they, they've been told they're heroes and, you know, the, I guess kids are, um, tell them they're heroes all the time. And you know, they get this, this complex where on one hand, they know that they're not going to be there to protect you. But on the other hand, I'm a hero. Well, what are you doing on the job that makes you a hero? I mean, the person who, um, you know, the person who created, um, you know, like the EKG machine, that's a hero. Um, the person who, you know, the person who's driving home and sees somebody broken down on the side of the road and stops to help them and gets that person going or, you know, st sits with that person until they, um, till a tow truck shows up or something, that's a hero. Um, why you're getting paid to do what you do. If you were doing it for nothing, then I might call you a hero. If you were actually saving people, I might call you a hero on the off chance that you actually do save somebody Well, you're getting paid. So <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm not going to call you a hero if you're getting paid to do something, and but you don't even have a mandate to do it. Well, not only that, but when law enforcement officers, they're hiding because they have unmarked vehicles, they're hiding behind a, a, a billboard somewhere or on an off-ramp where we can't see them, and they, and they just pull you over. That's not really acting in the capacity of a hero. They're they're just you know they should be in plain sight. I think maybe it was one of your memes where you pointed out that in Europe the police have clearly marked vehicles. They're bright colors, but in the United States they're usually dark and or tan, and you can't tell what they are or not. Well, that's because well they they'll use the rationalization that the reason they have to do that is they have to find people who are breaking the law. Well, it's really not a law. It's just a you know. Uh, <laughs> some an ordinance of some sort so 
but that, somehow that's going to protect us when you can look at Germany and the Autobahn where there's like no speed limit and everything like that. And, you know, I don't get the whole, I stopped you because you were doing something dangerous. Okay. If I was actually doing something that was going to put other people in harm's way, lock me up and throw away the key. Don't say, well, you were doing something that could kill people. Give me $150 and we'll forgive it. That makes no sense to me at all. If I'm doing something, you know, it's like, it's the whole thing about, um, oh, felons, uh, felons after they get out, they shouldn't own guns or they shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to vote. They shouldn't be able, they shouldn't be able to own guns and everything. It's like you can get a gun pretty much on any street in any city in the United States. If this person is really that much of a threat, why'd you let them out? You know, it's all just, it's a game. I mean, this whole system, it's a system of control and extortion. And if these cops don't write, um, wait, the way, you know, most of the local departments here are set up, if they don't write these tickets, they either lose their job because I interviewed a cop, an ex cop recently, and all he did was concentrate on, uh, solving violent crimes and he was fired for not writing tickets. Um, so that just basically tells you how somebody who's finding, going out and finding murderers and violent drug dealers and bringing them in, and the department was pissed off at him because he wasn't writing tickets. So th that's really the only thing I need to know about the priority of law enforcement. Also, you know, a couple counties, the county I work in is Gwinnett County here in Georgia. And you, the one good thing about Gwinnett County is if one of their cops does something, I mean, horrific and gets caught doing it on film, they usually fire the person pretty quick. I mean, there was one kid who he had a broken tail, like got pulled over, mouthed off to the cop. The cop pulled him out of, of the car, handcuffed him behind his back and put him face down on the pavement. At that time, another car pulled up and the cop ran out at a full sprint and stomped the kid's face into the ground. The kid was face down on the ground with his handcuffs behind his back. I mean, that's sadism. And we see that all the time from these people. So how am I supposed to, you know, if I can't do that, if I see someone driving down the road, if someone's driving down the road and they swerve and almost sideswipe me and send me into the wall, I can't catch up to that person, um, you know, pull a move where I get them off the road or something like that, and then you know, write them a ticket or take them to jail. I mean, so <laughs> there's sort of a disc, there's a real disconnect here. So, I mean, you can, now you can do that because you have a magic costume and a shiny badge. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's not, if they were really out there trying to protect people, we'd be protected. You know, it's like, it's like I say about the whole, the bad cop thing. Oh, well, it's just a few bad apples. If there was such a thing as a good cop, there'd be no bad cops because good cops would be arresting or running bad cops off of the force. And I know somebody who works at a gun store around here. He was a cop for four years. He arrested his, he arrested his partner and guess what? They ran him out of the department.
That's all you need to know about policing. That's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. That analogy, uh, bad apples, it reminds me of you know when a farmer actually has a bunch of apples, he's going to sell them market, and there's a couple of bad ones in there. He throws out the whole bush- bushel. He doesn't just take out the bad apples, right? That's the one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. That's what the phrase means. But it, it always you, does. But what you're saying is is not how people think. <laughs> well, no, because they've been pretty much a lot of people know a cop, and it's like, oh, I know him, and he's a good dude. Although they've never been on the job with him, they they never see what he does. Um, most people don't know what cops do. You have TV shows that all this propaganda. I mean. A great libertarian drinking game, if you want to kill yourself, is to watch Law and Order and take a shot every time they violate someone's rights, and you'll be dead. You'll be dead in the first twenty minutes. Or watch Cops. I mean, the TV show Cops is one of the greatest propaganda tools ever in law enforcement history, and they even say in the show all suspects are uh, presumed innocent until proven guilty. Well. If I'm presumed innocent, why are you arresting me? Why am I being thrown in jail? Why do I have to pay money to get out? This this is all illogical when it comes to the idea of protecting the public from somebody. And it's very illogical to innocent till proven guilty. That is one of the worst phrases of all time. Because I can tell you, um, until that person either pleads guilty or is found guilty... They're innocent. Why are they behind bars? It just seems to me that they're presumed guilty if they're behind bars. It's, it, is a, it is a system of control to keep us in fear and to keep us dependent upon them, which is something we should never be able. You should never be dependent on another person unless it's your family or you know, people close in your circle. I mean, a stranger who, who, who they rob from you in order to pay? No, that doesn't make sense at all to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know how somebody in their right mind would want to have that profession to begin with. Uh, you wake up and every single day you need to go out there and, and basically harass somebody. It makes me wonder what the word serve and protect really means in their vehicles. Well, if you ever notice, it's in quotes. So they're they're just mocking us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think about this too. People want to mourn dead cops. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not going to mourn dead cops any more than I mourn dead soldiers when they join the military while a war is going on. If somebody enlists in the military to fight while a war is going on, they have to know that they there is a really good chance that they're not going to be coming home except in a bag. All of these cops, unless they've been on the force for 46, 47 years now all joined the police department knowing that there was a war on drugs and in some places a war on crime was going on. The war on drugs has another name that is the only name we should use. Prohibition. We did that. We tried it. The Volstead Act. It didn't work. Now there are people who look at that and they look at pictures of police back in the 20s you know, with barrels of booze and they're punching holes in it and draining it into the street. And we go, why did you do that? That makes absolutely no sense at all. People want to drink the same thing with the war on drugs. People want to do, if people want to smoke weed, if people want to snort Coke, if people want to do heroin, let them friggin' do it. 
what are you doing? You're setting up a black market, which always comes with violence, um, tainted, tainted um, th- um, product because there's no regulation upon it. And then you have cops now that are dressed like people on um, patrol in Afghanistan and Iraq, and Syria, Somalia, Libya, Ethiopia, all the places there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm leaving some out. Um, they're dressed like that on on the streets of America and people aren't going. Is this the standing army that the founders warned us about? Literally, you can read accounts of how the redcoats in the colonies in 17 from 1770 to 1775. There's a bunch of accounts of how people would handle them in the street. A redcoat would stop somebody and ask them a question. They'd be like, give them the finger and tell them to F off. And the redcoat wouldn't do nothing. Could you imagine doing that to a cop now? (laughs) Those, those redcoats, they wear blue now. If people don't realize that they, they just switched colors and they are the, Mil- they are a military arm of politicians. That's who they serve. They are law enforcement. Laws are made by politicians. They are there as the servants of politicians. And a lot of those cops will tell you they hate politicians, but they'll but they'll jackboot every you know every step of the way while they're um, while they're enforcing the politicians' laws, mm-hmm. while they're pumping steroids into their arms. While they're getting tattoos, I mean, when I was growing up, if you saw, a, I don't even think a cop was allowed to have tattoos on the NYPD when I was growing up. Now they do steroids and they get tattoos and like gang, t- almost like gang tattoos. What the hell, man? Right, or they have the Punisher as uh, you know their symbol or something like that. Yeah, Frank Frank Castle, who killed cops and hated the and hated federal law enforcement. Okay, if that's who you want to, if that's what you want to put out there, sure, you know. You know, it's it's funny because a lot of people will say, if you're getting pulled over by a police officer, all you need to do is say, yes, sir, no, sir, thank you, sir, be nice, be kind, and, and you're more uh, likely to get out of that ticket. But I don't, I, I put that to the test several times. I don't think that's actually accurate. <laughs> Uh, why do we ha- why do we have to be nice to people who are basically ruining our day because they want to take money from us? Because you're in a hostage situation. That's the way you, you get. I mean, what do what do people tell you? Just do what you're told. Just do what you're told, and everything will be fine. That's the same exact thing you tell to host- say to hostages. And believe me, when you get pulled over by the cops, you're in a hostage situation. Um, anybody who's ever had to sign a ticket should probably read the bottom of it. I don't think most people know this. By signing that ticket, you're basically posting bail. If you refuse to sign that ticket, you're going to jail. That is, you are basically presumed guilty right there. And so you get pulled over. Get Someone comes up. I mean, half the time they have their hands on their gun. I mean, you know, at least they have the heel of their hand on the heel of their gun. And they're asking you questions. Do you know why I pulled you over? Because you couldn't get a job in the free market? Because you couldn't find something better to do because you failed out of college? Or you made the decision to go into the military and somehow you didn't use your 
you know, your, um, the education money they gave you when you came out. So you decided to be, you know, become a road pirate. It's, Oh, do, do you know what you, you know, do you know what, why I pulled you over? Yeah. Because you're a friggin' authoritarian. And that's what you want to say. Um, basically what a lot of lawyers will tell you is say, I don't answer questions. You know, and yeah, it's like, what are you going to, you're going to incriminate yourself. You have the right to remain silent, you know? And, um, you know, there's also a guy out of Texas who will tell you that you don't even have to hand over your driver's license or anything because you can ask them right there. If I hand this over to you, any information that you get off this, can you use this against me? Uh, yeah. Well, then I'm inv- then I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. Uh-huh. And it's like, and but good luck with that. You better have you better have, you know, balls of steel if you're going to do that. Because um, if that guy beat his wife that morning, you, you I mean, he, he might have gotten some stress out of there. But um, I, I, he's probably not having a good day. Most of them aren't because they've chosen a profession where it's impossible to have a good day when you're a tyrant. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> don't get me. It, it's hard. It, it's hard, man. It, it, these they have no they are not. I do not consider police to actually be a part of this society. They are they're interlopers and they, they're just they're they're agents of a foreign power. And I mean, that's all government is. I mean, you ever hear the phrase, we are the government? Walk into a government building and start barking orders. Well, no, you're not. That's not what that means. Then what does it mean? Then tell me what it means. If we are the government. What a stupid thing for people to say. And they say it without thinking. It's just like an NPC, non-player character, just non-playable character, just like, Oh, we're the government. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, police are here to protect us, to protect and serve. Yep, 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 yep. These people, they're, they're unconscious. It just spews out of them unconsciously. Like you said, 15,000 hours of indoctrination. One of the things that I think is the biggest lie in this country is that there's some kind of systemic racism involved with the policing. I mean, I'm just a regular white guy from the suburbs of Chicago, and I've been harassed so many different times. i tell you the story, Pete. It, it cracks me up to this day. I was, uh, I was just driving. I was actually uh, picking home a pizza from a pizza place, and I was driving. I was going a little too fast, and this cop pulled me over, and he gets up on the passenger side of the car, and he looks in the window, and then he's like flashing his lights in, my, in the window, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like barking orders, and so I just cracked the window a little bit. And he's like, I'm, I'm looking to see if you have a bazooka in your car. And he literally said, I'm looking to see if you have a bazooka in your car. I'm like, are you kidding me? I ha- do, I have, do I look like I have a bazooka? Do I look like I could afford a bazooka? Do I look, I mean, is, is that even a good weapon? You can't even conceal that. <laughs> it's like, I mean, how precise can you be with a bazooka? It's just, come on. These people are just ridiculous. And these cops are just ridiculous and they are what a bubble they live in too, where, I mean, they protect each other. If one screws up and kills somebody, it's like, Oh, we'll plant a gun on that person. I mean, this cop that just got in Florida got caught on camera planting meth in an old lady's car. And I know why he picked her 
because it was an old pickup truck and she looked like what a lot of people would consider to be like typical white trash. And finally on camera, he, 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 his body camera caught him putting the, the meth in her car. And I think 119 people got released from jail because of that, because he did that to he, I'm not saying he did it to 119 people, but it's possible that he caught 119 people, uh, 119 people went to jail on false charges. And then you go into that court system and they're like, well, you can plead to this and get five years. Or if you want to go to trial, we're going to hit you with like five different charges that'll add up to 20. And then what are you going to do? You're going to be trust a jury, people who don't want to be there, people who are indoctrinated, people who assume that just because you're on trial, you're guilty, people who are going to judge you by the way you look and by the way you talk. I mean, screw that, man. It, it, it's infuriating that these people have so they have stolen a millennia of people's lives collectively. I mean, people who've been in jail for 10, 20 years to finally get released because um, good evidence came out. People who were put to death, who did it came out that they were innocent. I mean, it is just it's remarkable. And who's the first one to do it? It's the cops. You know, it's um, James Dwayne's book is one that everyone should pick up and read or get get it on audio or something. It's called You Have the Right to Remain Innocent. And he just says you never answer questions for the cops ever, ever. Don't answer any of their questions ever, ever. And he just goes through this whole laundry list of people who lost decades of their lives because they answered 100 questions. They answered 98 of them correctly. They screwed up on two of those questions. And the cops and the and the um and the prosecutors used those two questions to throw them in jail and wouldn't even let the 98 questions even um, th that were answered right. Even if they um, could prove the innocence because of the other two questions, they wouldn't allow them to be admissible in the court. It is a scam. And it all starts with the police. They are the genesis point of this. Mm -hmm. Don't trust them. Don't talk to them. Don't answer questions. You said earlier that uh, the drug war is a contributing factor to this police state that we live in. I think it's one of the major issues out there, The whether the substances we put in our body, you know, there's arguments as to how they're harming us, and that should be a, an individual pursuit of action, right, whether we want to harm our own body. But the, the drug war itself is just totally backwards, totally just unjust, and, and so many different tragedies happen because of it. Well, you know, and then you'll have people who will make excuses for it. They'll be like, well, you know, as long as healthcare is being publicly funded, then, you know, there should be drug laws. I don't want you, you know, overdosing or going into a coma and then my taxes pay for that. Well, the obvious thing is to get rid of Medicare, Medicaid, anything, any kind of public assistance or anything like that. I mean, why do you want somebody to go to jail or, you know, doesn't it make more sense that you would not want to be stolen from instead of like, oh, that person's a bad person because they do something I don't approve of? And that's really what it comes down to is what what, what it comes down to is this country was founded by Puritans, by Puritans. Mm -hmm. We've never gotten rid of that. We've never gotten rid of it. I mean, it's just I mean, this is still like every other country I've I've um, been to. You turn on the TV and you could see boobs. 
Oh, you know, oh, big deal. You know, it's like and you turn on the TV here and if there's boobs, there's like a hunt that 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 station or that that program can, um, you know, if it's on a regular channel or something, will be fined uh, ridiculous amounts of money or you hear the F word or something like that. Um, it, it's just it, it's just this. This idea that the flesh is evil or something like that, you know, it's like, oh, well, you only do drugs. Be, yeah, you, you only do drugs because you're a loser and you're trying to, um, you know, you're trying to escape reality as they're sipping their beer. Mm-hmm. Did you see the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, the documentary about Queen? Yeah. So there was a scene in the movie when uh, they were discussing uh, coming to America with Queen and the line that stuck with me said that Americans are Puritans in public and, and perverts in private. I yeah, it was pretty funny. Well, it's basically true. It's hard to argue that. I mean, they had um, you had police beating up homosexuals in New York up until they decided to fight back in the late sixties. You know, I mean, it's just you know, and then those police. Um, you know, you don't know what they're doing in their private life and everything. So, it's, I mean, it's just it, statism and the worship of the state is just it, – it's not good for individual liberty. That's why people have to bring up stuff like the social contract because they have to collectivize you and then they can control you. Oh, you, you don't want to do this because you hate other people. Sure. Okay. Sure. Let's go with that. Now, why would you want me to be, you know, why would you want anything to do with me if you believe that? No, you just want to force me into doing things. You just want to, you know, it's like this whole thing with with the election this year. I mean, you're going to have one side is going to try and get hold of the presidency so that they can not vote for more liberty or, you know, not not um, peel away laws and have more liberty you have another side that wants to take control, not because they want more individual liberty for people. No, each side wants to hold the ring so they can punish the other side. How the hell do people who actually believe in individual liberty expect to achieve that when they're forced to participate and bow to a system that allows that? It's remarkable to me. Secession and decentralization is the only um, answer, you know, if you look up the term liberty, um, you know, it talks about being free from, from rulers within society. It's not, oh, if you want liberty, move to Somalia, or if you want liberty, move to this, move to the middle of the forest and be by yourself. No, liberty is explicitly says to be free within society. And nobody wants that. I mean, Donald Trump, when he was running for president talked about war, you know, talked about these wars are stupid. Um, the stock market is manipulated. The jobs numbers are manipulated. Um, the federal reserve probably needs to be audited. You know, what's one word he never said in his whole campaign and has never said, as far as I know to this day, he's never said Liberty. Well, Liberty is defined by so many different people. I mean, you talk about society or, uh, uh, you know, you can talk about liberty up in the northeast part of the country, and you can talk about liberty in the southeast part of the country, and you can talk about liberty out west. And I think every single person has different understanding of what that word means. It's, it's been so watered down. You just made my argument for secession. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I've been talking about that uh, since I started this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what do you think the future of the liberty movement is going, though? I mean, do you think it's just educating people through podcasting, through, uh, I mean, I like your book, Freedom Through Memedom. I, I haven't read it, but I, you're always posting some very entertaining and informative things on Facebook. Do you think that's the only way that we're going to get freedom, or um, is there more hope? Well, I think that we would be on a much better path right now if Hillary Clinton would have won. The reason I say that is when Donald Trump won, a bunch of people I think that could have been won over to the ideas of liberty adopted this guy as some kind like he's going to lead them to the promised land, like he's going to smash the deep state and drain the swamp. He's done a really good job of that. You know, that's sarcasm, actually. Um, I, I almost want Bernie to win or whoever the, the Democrat is because it will cause a bunch of people to – well, actually, I don't want Bernie to win because Bernie supporters are probably closer to us than a – Biden or Bloomberg or Buttigieg supporter is their their economics are horrible, but they realize the system is rigged. They realize that um, a, a lot of them are civil libertarians um, would like to see the drug war ended, would like to see prison reform, justice reform. Um, so I don't know if Bernie, uh, I think a lot of people um, on, who would be more right leaning would just rebel. I don't know whether they'd go towards liberty. Um, but I think if like a Bloomberg or a neoliberal or a, one, one of those people uh, got elected, I think the Bernie people would leave the Democratic Party and start their own party. And I think a lot of a lot of people on um, who were formerly liberty minded, who we've lost along the way would probably come back. Well, I think a lot of them would come back. And I think a lot a lot of new people would be attracted to, you know, the ideas that Ron Paul set out in 2007, 2000, uh, 2011, 2012. And um, I think they would, shoot, I, if they just want to start reading, you know, Patrick Buchanan's, <laughs> Pat Buchanan's anti-war books, and, you know, just read any read anything that talks about this empire and how it needs to end. You know, it's just... I don't know. I think I think if Bernie won, I, I really can't predict what would happen. I think there would be such a rebellion on the right, but I don't think any of those people would become more liberty-minded. I think they'd even go more statist. But I think that if a neoliberal like a Buddha judge, who's obviously the CIA's pick, um, Bloomberg, who's obviously the establishment, would love to have him in there. Uh, I think that would cause a huge ruckus, and I think a lot of people, I think you'd see a split in the Democratic Party. It might be the death knell of the Democratic Party, and I think you'd see a lot of people on the right just um, running towards liberty. And I think you'd see a lot of people on the left running towards liberty, too. Yeah, I've been hearing some people think that uh, this coming election is going to be a brokered convention for the Democrats, which is you know pretty interesting. Well, I'm one of these people who along with Monica Perez, who's on WSB radio here. She's an anarcho-capitalist who is actually on terrestrial radio in Georgia. And her uh, partner, Brad Binkley, we've been following this Stacey Abrams lady who ran for governor here and lost. 
and said the election got stolen from her and has started an organization um, that is, you know, against voter suppression and uh, basically their whole their whole goal is to get rid of the electoral college that's what they want to do but she recently endorsed bloomberg and if there is a brokered convention i think that convention is going to want a bloomberg kind of they want they're going to want a billionaire to run against a billionaire and i think that he would pick stacy abrams as his um as his vice president to run. And I think they would lose to Trump and, but it would be a referendum on voting because it'll be Russia again, or Ukraine meddled in the election. Um, the elections can't be, the elections can't be trusted. And yep, I have the solution. I I don't want to give it to them. I have, but I have the solution how to solve all of this election fraud problem, but no one wants to hear it. I'm talking about, it not being in secret. That's true. Yeah. So like, hey, this is my name. This is who I voted for. And it's public to everyone. As long as the vote is secret, anyone can win that they want to. They can manipulate it however they want. I don't care how many voting machines. Somebody has to program those. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't have the paper ballots. And even when we did have the paper ballots, we had hanging chads in Palm Beach County in 2000. I lived one county over. I experienced that whole thing. So, you know, I mean, I don't want them to I don't want them to fix the system. I want to see as much chaos as possible, because with chaos, more people would be like, OK, I want to leave this. This this has to be broken up everything. So. I don't know, man, I think this is a. Uh, I think that if any if Trump wins, the left is going to lo- collectively lose their minds even harder than they did in 2016. I think you could see California wanting to secede um, a, a real secession at that point, even uh, Oregon, Washington. There's this whole move to have like British Columbia, Washington and Oregon be like one point be like one country and. I think that would be beautiful, man. I think it has to, you know, it's like a Hoppe says, um, 10,000 tiny Liechtensteins, you know, where you have like, uh, these little hamlets of populations of 50 or 60 people. And, um, you know, like the cantons in Switzerland where you have like less than a million people in each one. And, um, there's more direct, um, interaction with, people and um i think that's the only thing the only way we're going to have liberty in this lifetime is secession Uh, it's the only way what's your take on the philosophy of agorism what i mean by that is uh, i follow a lot of people who say don't worry about what politics is doing don't worry about what the government is just take care of yourself become successful become wealthy Uh, just get yourself out of the system as much as possible do you think there's any uh, truth to that well, I mean, I think agorism is, it's another tool. Um, I try to do as much as I can outside of the system, um, as far as buying certain things and, um, you know, other, you know, most agorists will say, look, just stop paying taxes and starve the beast. Um, agorism is most commonly, um, 
compared to like black markets and stuff like that, people who deal drugs, people who deal guns, but it doesn't really have to be that. It could be somebody who like a shade tree mechanic, somebody who fixes cars in their yard or um, has a hair braiding business out of their house where they just do it for cash, where there's no no tax money, nothing going to the uh, to the government. I think a lot of that works. I, I, I think it's a tool. And I understand that agorist. Um, I catch a lot of crap from my agorist friends for joining the Libertarian Party. But I mean, they just um, I, don't, I think they just have a blind spot and they don't realize how much of uh, an educational force it could be. And I mean, I don't hate them for it, but, um, you know, yeah, I just think most agorism is distinctly non-political and i think what i do with the libertarian party is distinctly non-political now if the, i would say the only political thing that i call for is secession but i don't think that that i think that's people coming together to make um you know, like-minded people coming together to say, hey, let's, you know, let's support each other. I mean, I think that's the only one. I mean, everybody wants to talk about anarchists unite. Well, you know, that sounds like an oxymoron. But I mean, that's really the only way you're going to achieve anything. You're not, I mean, you could achieve stuff on your own. You can completely drop out of the system on your own. But it's really, really hard. I mean, I know there are people out there who who um, exist on cryptocurrency only and everything. But, you know, that isn't for everyone. That's, you know, the person who has four kids a married couple that has four kids, that's really hard for them to do, especially if they're sending them to like private schools or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I, I don't think that agorism can be done by everybody, like 100 percent agorism. I think people, everyone can do agorism. It's some to some extent, but I don't see it as something that's going to um, 100, you know, why did the, you know, why did the government collapse or, you know, why did the government have to get smaller or why did they, you know, why did it break up into a thousand pieces? It's not going to be because of agorism. It'll be agorism helped a lot. Tell me a little bit about uh, your current documentary that you're working on. I heard you in previous podcasts talk about it. It sounds very interesting. It's called The Monopoly on Violence. Yeah, I was approached by... Um, by a local Atlanta Atlantan here who I knew from Facebook and who I had had, uh, I had had a meal with previous. And he asked, he's like, I want to run something by you. You want to have lunch? And I'm like, sure. So we met up and everything. And he said, I have an idea for a documentary and I need your help. And I was like, okay, I, I don't know anything about documentary. I, I just don't know. I wouldn't know what I'd be doing. And he said, well, here's the thing. He goes, you are a podcaster. You know a lot of famous libertarians or celebritarians. Basically, we want to use you to reach out to them so that we can interview them for the documentary. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So it took about uh, from the time we started till the time we like did our first interview. It was probably six months. You know, we had to start a business and get le get legal, quote unquote, and everything. And they went down to 
Robert and Chris, my co-producers, went down to Anarchapulco, and that's where they did the first couple of interviews. And then we looked at what we had, and we're like, okay, we're on the right track. When is the next time that we can get a whole bunch of libertarians together? You know, so we can economize, you know, if there's a whole bunch of libertarians meeting at one place and we can do a ton of interviews at once. And it was Mises University. The problem is, is that Anacapulco was in February. Mises University was in July. So we basically waited. Um, And when Mises University came around, it was just a jackpot. You know, there were so many people there that, you know, Robert Murphy was there. Ryan McMakin was there. um, Jeff Deist was there. Lou Rockwell um, Peter Klein, Sandy Klein, Patrick Newman, Judge Napolitano just happened to be there and we were able to get him and he was phenomenal because I mean, he's just a great speaker. Um, Dave Smith was there. So it was just, it, it, it was incredible. And it was like, at that point it was like, all right, we have a lot to work with now. So we did a couple more interviews, um, there was a Texas run where we got Scott Horton and um, Stephen Kinsella, Ron Paul, Daniel McAdams, and then Chris swung over to New Orleans to get Walter Block, uh, came back and got Scott Horton and Max Borders. And then he went up to um, Colorado to get Michael Humer. Then... That's when we started putting it, started to put it all together. But we did do a couple more interviews after that. Most recently, and this is very recent, we did um, Thaddeus Russell so we could get the history of uh, education in the United States and David Friedman. So at this point, we're going through, we have the script all laid out, everything. And we're right now we're doing a teaser Docu- uh, a teaser trailer for the people who we did this through Indiegogo. It was completely crowdfunded. We're doing a teaser trailer so that they everybody can see what we're doing. Um, but we're at the point now where we have we have an animator working on animation. Um, the script is in its second uh, draft, which we're actually starting to have the narrator start going over his narration parts and practicing and everything. And it looks like we can have this thing out by summer, which we, we thought we could have it out by March next month. That's not going to happen. There's a chance we could have it out in April thinking maybe not really good chance. We could have it out by May for the uh, libertarian national convention and show it to some people there. That would be awesome. Um, but you know, and then we have to, you know, after we, have all the animation, get everything cut together, um, get the voice over, uh, get the narration done. Then we have to do the score and we have somebody to do the score, but that will come last because the person who's doing the score has to see everything and has to be able to hear the inflection in people's voices and hear exactly how we put everything together. So it's a huge project. It's going to start out talking about how states governments came into existence and go back 10,000 years for that, bring it all the way up to what the modern state looks like. Um, we get into how these states structure what they do, education, defense, war, 
all the most horrible things that they do. And then we start presenting um, anarchism as an alternative. And that's a very big part of the, uh, you know, a good part of the movie is going to be presenting how anarchism could work, the whole theory behind it. And, you know, you have people like Robert Murphy and Walter Block, Jeff Dice, Dry McMagan, all these people, uh, David Friedman. And yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge project. It's, I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know what I was getting into when I agreed to be a part of it, but I ended up writing a lot of the narration. So I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't only the guy saying, Hey, um, can we interview you here? You know, remember I interviewed you on my podcast. Can we stop by and interview you and everything? No, it turned out that I was going to be hands-on in it. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, um, the finished product will, will start really seeing the fruits of it very soon. And, um, you know, having somebody like Chris, who's you know done some work in Hollywood and, um, somebody who is 100% dedicated to the project, uh, working on it and going through all of it, going through the whole script and laying it out in a cohesive, um, in a cohesive systematic manner. Um, yeah, he's done an amazing amount of work for this and I just, um, I, there's no way we could do this without him. That sounds amazing. I can't wait till it comes out. I think with uh, that lineup of people, it'll be very, uh, very informative, very educational. It's, um, yeah, I'm in it too. Yay, so. <laughs> As a fellow podcaster, not just in the libertarian world, but what advice can you give somebody like myself who's just getting started? You really have to find out what you want to do and the, the kind of direction you want to take. Um, I knew when I started out, I had heard Tom Wood say, you know, if you can get past seven episodes, um, you're usually, you know, you should be pretty good. You know, usually once someone gets past seven episodes, they keep doing it. I had planned to do like 14 or 15 episodes where I just talked and I laid out like a foundation of what I believed, um, important stuff to me, like how to, how to look at the police, jury nullification, um, how the, how courts work, um, guns, um, I did an episode just talking about my favorite guns and why I think it's important to have guns. Um, but after that, if you're going to be on, I released episode 377 on Thursday, you're going to have to figure out what you want to do and what's going to keep people interested for that many episodes. And to me, it's people ask me, how do you decide who you want to interview? Basically, I get an idea in my head of something that I'd like to learn about or you know, one of my like Patreon supporters or something like that. will be like, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? And I'll be like, yeah, sometimes I'll be like, eh, that doesn't interest me. Sometimes I'll be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I wonder who I can talk to about that. So then maybe I'll like hit Scott Horton and say, hey, do you know who's an expert on this subject? Or I'll ask Tom Woods or someone like that. And um that's what you have to do. You have to figure out if you're going to have longevity, if you're going to have longevity in this, I mean, what's going to keep it interesting. And I think interviewing good people, diverse groups, I've taken to interviewing left anarchists and I'm talking, I was just emailing back and forth um, to have a left anarchist come on the show so we could talk about, you know, what we, what we agree with and what we don't. And um, just in, interviews like that, that, you know, people 
find interesting. You know, recently I did an episode with Slappy from the Rollo and Slappy show where he explained in pretty good detail how he nullified a federal drug trial and got people to walk not guilty because they were nonviolent. They were nonviolent offenders. And I mean, that episode is doing great. I mean, people are freaking out about it and love it, you know. Did Brett Vinat on the history of uh, the education system in the United States from um, the 1800s and the Prussian model, the introduction of the Prussian model by Horace Mann, all the way up to Common Core. And I mean, that's what it's already one of my most downloaded episodes. So I just think about things that interest me. And if I feel like I'm good enough on it to talk on my own. Maybe I'll do a solo episode, but more than likely, I think people like to hear conversations. So I find someone who's an expert on it, ask them questions. I think that's really, you got to find an, you know, if you're going to have a narrow, if you're going to have a narrow focus, like if you're starting a podcast, it's like, well, this is just going to be about, like, I have a friend who has a Christian anarchism podcast. It's it's narrow, um, the kind of subjects that you can get into. Um, that's also going to be really hard for interviewing people because, you know, there aren't a lot of Christian anarchists out there. Um, so if yeah, you really have to figure out what you want to do or like my friends from uh, Bird and Carr from the Friends Against Government podcast, they're like, there's no libertarian podcast out there that just wants to have fun. They just want to joke around and have have people on to talk about, you know, have Scott Horton on to talk about the, the fact that he wanted to be a, at one point he considered to be in a stand up comedian. You know, and they so they found their niche and they're doing really well. Their download numbers are insane. So you um, you have to um, figure out what you want and figure out what's going to give you longevity. That's and the best I can uh, come up with. Well, I really appreciate the advice, Pete. Uh, do you have any last thing you want to plug before I let you go here? Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I literally just uh, dropped an episode where Scott Horton and I are talking about domestic uh, domestic issues. That's something he doesn't talk about very often. Um, so I thought that that would be something that people would want to hear. Um, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Raider. Um, you can go to my website, freemanbeyondthewall.com. There's a store there. You can support me yearly there. You can even do it with cryptocurrency. Um, the, the documentary, of course. And I know I'm forgetting something, but, um, Libertarian Institute, libertarianinstitute.org. The great Scott Horton started it. Got Sheldon Richman, who's been writing article libertarian articles for forty years and writing books and editing books, and myself. And um, it's a great source of education daily. We put up new articles every day. Well, thanks very much, Pete. I appreciate it. I'll let you go, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch each other again in the future. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for uh, letting me come on and rant. I want to thank Pete for appearing on my show today. Of course, I couldn't do this without all you great listeners out there. Please check out my other shows on your favorite podcast player. As always, make it an awesome day. <laughs>